0: Welcome to episode 20 of the Bowery Capital Startup Sales Podcast. sales podcast. I'm lucky to have Jake Dunlap, founder and CEO of Scaled, in the studio with us today. Scaled works with growth stage startups, building out replicability in the demand generation and sales process. Jake, for those uh, of our audience that don't know who you are, why don't you give us a little bit of background?
1: Yeah, great. So thanks, Erica. I really appreciate you having me and looking forward to the discussion. So as Eric mentioned, I'm the CEO of Scaled. Uh, in prior lives, I was the Vice President of Sales at Glassdoor in San Francisco. I um, helped to build out the original sales organization there. Uh, moved to New York, uh, took over as the Head of Product Outreach at Chartbeat, and then started Scaled you know, really beginning of 2013 with this idea that you know, many growth stage companies had very limited options in terms of uh, moving from different growth stages, from you know, initial build to scaling, et cetera. And you know, really enjoy solving those types of problems. So started scaled. We have uh, nine people on the team today, and we work with you know a wide variety of early and, and growing companies, helping to, as you said, build out replicability in their their sales process. So looking forward to the conversation. Yeah. So I'm excited about our topic as well. A lot of uh, our portfolio
0: companies are selling into kind of Fortune 1,000 organizations. They're trying to go after that CIO, CMO, CTO. Um, and so we're going to talk about kind of navigating these organizations, getting to that C-level position, and then once you get there, how to execute. So, um, I think to start us off, it makes sense to start at the beginning of the process with prospecting. Can you talk a little bit about what you guys teach, um, best practices for prospecting?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think there's an eternal debate, particularly when you're you're selling to larger companies about how how to get a warm Mm -hmm. intro, you know, and, and I think obviously, um, you know, referrals can be a great entree, right? Or finding people who have interest, you know, using your board, using your network, et cetera. You know, the tough part is many times those referrals take time to cultivate um, and sometimes get you into levels of the organization that actually aren't, you know, the best. So when it comes to prospecting, you know, one of the, one of the things that, that we focus on is step one is really identifying not just who you should be targeting, um, but we look for things past just demographic, past CIO, past, job title, uh, because you know, uh, being a VP of digital strategy can mean something different at a million different companies. And what we really try to do is utilize tools like LinkedIn, SalesLoft, which you know, pulls in a lot of data from LinkedIn to identify um, you know, our targets, you know, again, if, assuming we don't have a, a warm intro, trying to identify not just the job title, et cetera, but also looking for behavioral uh, pieces within their LinkedIn profile. Are they, have they been there for five years or have they been there for six months? Do they talk about being innovative or do they talk about, you know, I've been a CIO. CIO is the most classic example, right? Mm-hmm. Where it's sometimes they have been in these roles for like 15 years, right? And so when I'm prospecting, especially in the early stages, it's really important for me to try to look for who is gonna have a higher propensity to buy today. Is it a CIO who's been in the job for 15 years or a guy who's consistently been at places for two to three years, talks about growth, talks about innovation in his or her LinkedIn profile. So for me, when I think about like initial prospecting, it's not enough, I think, to just look at the demographics or to rely you know, purely on referrals. Uh, you really have to, I think, take that second look and spend that extra five minutes to just do a little bit of research.
0: So that's a little bit counterintuitive to me. You don't, you don't want to go after the guy who's been there for 15 years and has a lot of power because of the inertia that comes with that?
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's not... I mean, again, if in his or her profile, you know, she or he is talking about, again, like cutting edge, awesome. Uh, but many times, particularly CIOs, uh, if you've been in the same role for 15 years you're kind of happy with what you've been doing you know and, and i think that's that's really a key piece is that many many times it's these guys have their processes it's been set etc so if i can look for somebody who's new you know usually when you're new you're trying to make a name for yourself right and so that can sometimes be an, an easier end for a guy who's maybe looking for a quick win do you use
0: other uh, maybe social media like Twitter to see what they're posting and see if, if they're posting stuff that's like cutting edge and you know, news about new startups and new technologies and things like yeah, that? Yeah, absolutely.
1: It's, you know, it's interesting. I've always been you know, kind of a skeptic of social selling mm-hmm. uh, in the past where it's like you're know, trying to find like these silver bullets. There's actually a service that we utilize for a lot of our clients and even for Scaled which is called Socedo. It's S-O-C-E-D-O. It's a startup based out of Seattle. And what it does is kind of this, like, hack on Twitter and LinkedIn. And basically what it allows us to do is search for very specific keywords, and then it'll go and pull Twitter lists of these individuals, uh, job title, keywords, etc. It'll go and basically pre-populate lists of these people. Then it favorites a tweet or something that mentioned one of those keywords. Then an hour later, it follows them. And then an hour later, if they follow, if they follow you back, it sends them a DM saying, hey, Awesome! Looks like you guys are thinking about XYZ. Let's connect on LinkedIn. Then, if they connect with you on LinkedIn, it sends another direct message and yeah. says like, "Hey, looks like we're interested. Let's set up time to meet." And so, um, we've been using that in conjunction with email, and we've had—I mean, just for our company alone—we've closed a you know, like big five-figure deal from Socita, where the CEO was like, "Oh, this is cool. You guys use social media." Da da da. So, like a Twitter uh, drip campaign. Yeah, that's exactly. It so like, and that's kind of whenever we're doing outreach to to people. You know, I think it's as we become, you know, as we become more and more I don't know, sensitized to cold calls not working as well, email is starting to get there, and now it's this like kind of weird combination of, you know, email and social that we're really starting to explore and, and how to use these touch points to be kind of interesting and cool versus like a call, email, call, email. And so Cito allows us to make do these like what appear to be very high value touch points. Um, and it works really well. And you guys, will you, because uh, we
0: had uh, Adam Liebman on the on the show a little while ago, and he talked about, you know, Sundance is obviously so different. Yeah. He'll never leave a voicemail, yeah. because he wants to get that person on the phone. Do you have any, um, like, do you leave voicemails, I guess is my question? Do you feel that it gives them an, an, a way to plan their excuse for not trying to talk to you?
1: <laughs> so... I think getting people on the phone, it's much easier at the SMB level, right? There's just not that many layers. They don't have assistance, et cetera. So for me, I'll put these, assi- like, how to, you know, kind of get the assistance work for you. I-, I don't have a problem with voicemails because to me, the call today is more so for this person to know, like, we're not going away. Yeah. Right? Like, so the voicemail to me is actually fine, right? Yeah. Because it says, hey, Eric, um... This and what we always do the key is with the voicemails. What we do is we reference the email. So the voicemail is, Hey Eric, hope all is well. I just shot you over a quick email. Let me know if that's easier for you based on XYZ quick sentence. So again, feel free to respond to the email. Look forward to catching up with you next week. Yeah, so again, we kind of use the, the voicemail and email off of each other. Yeah. and because again, in today's digital age, think about what a CMO think about what a VP is doing, right? They're on their phone. They're moving around, etc. So they get the voicemail, and again, I don't think people love voicemails, but yeah. they get it and they're like, <laughs> ugh, like this guy at least this guy's like being persistent. Yeah. And then they can see the email, because guess what? It's in their inbox. Yep. Yeah. So then they can it's easier for them to have to call back to actually schedule it. So that's how we utilize voicemail.
0: Alright, so you're obviously, you know, a big fan of cold calling. You say it works. What under what circumstances is the uh, personal introduction,
1: you know, easy to do? <sighs> I always suggest utilizing personal introductions, right? Any way that you can use that's a little bit more than just "I read an article," "I read some interesting you know, piece that you wrote." Uh, you know, it's always more helpful. I think the key is that there comes a point. Uh, there's maybe two points, Eric. The first is there's only so many personal introductions, right? There's only so many you know board connections that you have. To, the, to where it comes a point where you're gonna have to do it at the enterprise level. right? At the SMB level it's different, where you know, marketing is more responsible for driving a lot of that interest, mm-hmm. right? or the product itself by being sticky. You have the enterprise level and even think of a company like HubSpot, right? Who, you know, three or four years ago came out and said we'll never go outbound, mm-hmm. right? And then what happened? They had to at the enterprise level. Yep. Um. So I think the sooner that you get a core competency on like what works whenever I don't know you, the better. So sure, early on, yes, if you need some initial traction, always start to think about how to cultivate referrals. But as I mentioned before, our cold outreach, by using emails, by talking about problems, which is what we do, you know, we yep. talk about problems that's happening in the industry, something that you said. We try to, it's not the referral, like, hey, you know this person. It's more like we're informed on what you are, you know, who you are, what you do, etc. So I think the, the touches don't feel like cold. They feel like I'm reaching out for a very specific reason because of this trigger. And point. You've, done your, you've done your research. Yeah. That's your warm yeah, and it, just, and it doesn't take a lot of research. Right? It's just a, yeah. a couple like little nuggets or a white paper, something that you can do to hold on to. So okay. you don't have to spend hours researching, like, 25-minute Google search or 10-minute Google search yeah. would probably be fine.
0: Awesome. I want to go jump back, you know, about five minutes ago, you mentioned SalesLoft. I'm not sure if everyone in our audience even knows um, what SalesLoft is or how you use it. So maybe you could talk a little bit about how you guys
1: use it. Yeah, SalesLoft is awesome. So SalesLoft, and we use more traditional tools like ZoomInfo as well too. Uh, But what SalesLoft allows our team to do is build really high quality lists from LinkedIn. So what SalesLoft does is basically whether you're on the LinkedIn platform, it does like a Chrome overlay. Or then you can just hit plus next to these people and it will scrape these LinkedIn, like the basic LinkedIn information, and then it, then it will go out and f- try to find publicly available information like email address, phone number if it's not in the LinkedIn profile. Okay. Um, or if you do Google searches, or there's like a search function where it'll basically query Google to pull in the LinkedIn information. Um, but this is a really great tool because although the information still isn't 100% accurate, you know, LinkedIn, I think, is, has a better shot at being accurate than a list you know okay. just like names and email addresses. So it's it's been a really helpful tool particularly when trying to target VPs and, and C-levels. Awesome. Okay, so you you've prospected, you've got the person that you
0: want to get uh you want to get on the phone and you call them and you get their assistant. You said you were going to tell us how to get how to get the assistant working for you.
1: Yeah, I think the key is that just you have to understand that she or he exists. They're a human being, right? I think too often whenever people call into the assistant, they try to railroad and they try to It's not, belittle is probably not the right word, but almost like treat that person like they have no value. Whereas what we try to do is say, hey, great, Eric. Um, Hey, I've sent a couple emails to Mike, you know, your boss. Um, We talked to a couple of the departments. They said he's the guy who handles, you know, performance-based marketing. I tell you what, if I send an email to you, can you make, would you be willing to forward it over to him just to make sure that he has it, right? Try to treat them like a person and like appreciate that, right? Then if... Mythical Eric, in this mm-hmm. case, doesn't do it. The key is you call before 9 or before 8 or after 5. Okay. Right? Because that's when the assistant's not in. Right? Chances are a C-level of a VP is working before and after hours. The assistant goes home. Yep. So guess what? That number rings straight through. So many times early in the morning can be a really good time if you don't want to play nice or the assistant doesn't do what you need you know, her yeah. to do. Let's say you, um, you happen
0: to get... Uh, Cell phone number versus a work number. What are your thoughts on that? Ooh. Uh,
1: <laughs> it's tough. I mean, I it's tough. I don't know. I think it's really dependent on the industry, right? Like, you know, one of our clients sells into the hospitality space, right? Yeah. And so for those guys, the VPs of ops are on the road all the time. Yeah. And so whenever we're having strategic meetings, it's on their cell phone. So I think in, in those types of industries where... The people are more mobile. They're always you know, it's more of like a road warrior-based industry. I think a cell phone would be great. You know, if it's more like a traditional what I would probably do is I would probably call the main number. I would say, hey, I have John Henderson's cell phone. da, 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 da. I was trying to catch him at work. What's his extension? Mm-hmm. And I would maybe try to reach out to them. Yep. Yeah, I'm just not a big fan. I mean, you're reaching out to an executive here, right? Yeah. We're not talking about a guy who owns, like, yep. five locations of Denny's, right? Like, this is a guy who's running, you know, maybe a billion-dollar wing of a business. And to call him on his cell phone is just, I don't want to call it amateur, but yeah. I, I think I probably wouldn't recommend it in most cases. <laughs> okay, cool. All right, so now you've uh,
0: you've won over the assistant and you've connected for your first call uh, with the executive, let's say the CIO in this case, can you just walk us through the rest of the sales process after that?
1: Sure, all right, so this is a big topic. So uh, I'll try to break it into maybe kind of two phases. Yep. Uh, phase one is you know kind of initial engagement with that individual and we'll call it like executive sponsorship and getting the right people around the project or idea. So many times in the first meeting with a C-level or VP, we don't demo meaning and not me for scale. scaling I mean our clients right what we try to do is teach our clients how to have conversations in terms of problems meaning feeling comfortable asking a VP of operations for example great so let's walk through you know how the your group operates today around X Y and Z topic whatever is relevant it's okay to ask questions I think many times when people get meetings with C levels they feel like they've got to get up and dance and like show off everything right and in reality like what C levels appreciate and VPs appreciate the most is they want to be they want to be taught something. They take meetings with people that add value, right? People that are helping them to see around corners in 2017, right? A VP or C level at a Fortune 1000 company, 2015's done, right? Mm-hmm. Part of 2016 is already planned, right? And so you have you have to have a talk track that doesn't talk about the tactical utility of the problem, like this very like minutia of an analytics platform, right? Yeah. I don't give it. Yeah, I don't care, right? Yeah. So I think the key is, do you have an executive talk track that after I ask a few questions, I can say, great, Eric. So now let me give you kind of a quick high level on XYZ and how we look at the world, right? And then you can talk through what you do in terms of a big prop, things that are happening, you know, five to 10 minute talk track. that almost kind of walks them through the demo, but it's more so the stages of how people utilize the application. Mm-hmm. And then that first meeting, I think many times what happens is at the end of that meeting, so you have this great first meeting, and maybe you do like a brief demo at the end, just to get them, you know, just to show them. Uh, many times, what I see people do is turn the ball back over to them. They say, "Great, hey, so I'd love it if you would connect us, maybe, possibly with," se-. whereas you have to drive the next steps. You know, from running successful trials in the past, that this v- that the director of operations for stores needs to be involved, the director of web, you know, e-commerce needs to be involved, etc. For that second meeting. And so what's very, very important is you, you need to tell the executive who needs to be involved. Because most companies, you know, in the Bowery portfolio in particular and other portfolios, you're not selling a replacement, mm-hmm. right? It's not something where I turn around and I say, oh, John handles mobile analytics for XYZ. Yeah. And so it's really important that you dictate and you help to tell John, great, John. So typically for our next meeting, here's, what, here's how we you know, kind of normally start a trial or a pilot process. We'll loop in your head of stores head of e-commerce, walk them through a quick high level, do more of a demo for them, make sure they feel comfortable. And then, you know, at that point, we'll move into, you know, again, assuming we'll move into some type of pilot. Here's what that looks like. Again, assuming this is something that they like. So, you know, it, I'll keep you in the loop. You know, you and I will have a check-in maybe every two or three weeks. But, you know, this is the normal next step for us. Would you be willing to make you know, kind of a quick intro after this call? And I'll circle up with those guys for you. I want to immediately take it off your plate because mm-hmm. what happens is when you get a meeting with a C-level, they, there's no, especially we're talking about big companies here, right? Yeah. Um, they can't quarterback this. You know, yeah. like, they don't have time for this. <laughs> you're, you called them, like you were priority like 950. Now, after this one call, you're now priority number, you know, 250, right? You need to go and find those people, advocate, keep that C-level involved, but I think that's a big, a big drop off that I see with a lot of clients is they don't dictate the next steps after the first meeting and then deals start to go long from day one. Um, and then you know we can talk about the later stage
0: process too yeah sure let's jump right into the uh, well I guess let's continue with this kind of middle stage process let's say that you uh, you've you know located what who you thought was the you know VP level uh, executive that you wanted to speak to but then upon calling them you realize that they don't really have a lot of buying power and it's not really the person that you were trying to get to how do you navigate up and or how do you handle the sales process
1: in that circumstance yeah, I mean, that's a really great question, and I would say, you know, normally the chances are that your you know, cold email, like you nailed it 100%, is, I mean, I'd like to think that we do a pretty good job right <laughs> at companies, but in reality, you know, things happen and sometimes you just can't get to the C level. So the, the big group of questions that most people, you know, Eric, I'd say the first problem actually is most people don't know they have the wrong person, or they try to make that person a person. No matter what, Mm -hmm. they can even hear things that happen and they hear like this, but instead I'm like, well, I got him through Eric, so now Eric's got to be like my conduit. And I think that one of the biggest kind of impacts I think we have whenever we're we're talking to companies about their discovery process, every company does a discovery process. This usually like don't, they do it okay, is the very first group of questions that we ask are understanding the role and fit. Mm -hmm. The very first question is great. So again, a VP of digital strategy can mean a lot of different things. What are your top two or three areas of focus? That is the very first question that we ask. Yeah. Right. And the reason is who this person is and how their team fits together, who's involved, it takes everything else in the meeting. All right. If I realize I've got a more tactical person who's got teams, then maybe I'll get a little bit more tactical. If I've got an executive, I'm going to keep it high level. Again, maybe I won't even demo. Yeah. Right. And so I think... For me, it's asking those questions in the very beginning. And then whenever you ask them about their role, great, tell me a little bit about the team. Okay, so on your team, who handles X, Y, Z and you know these things that I know that we solve for? And if at that point I realize like I've got somebody on the team, etc., yeah. then that's you have to ask more difficult questions actually earlier in the meeting. Because what happens too frequently is, you know, I'm making an error sign up and to the right, sales resistance throughout that first meeting goes up and to the right. Yeah. Because at the end of it, if you've already given, you know, this person all the information and you're like, I'd love to set up a meeting with John and, uh, you know, if we could loop him in, you've already given him all the information. Yeah. You need Instead to of it, then kind of
0: set yourself up for like an early, I'm not the right person. I need to
1: escalate exactly this. Exactly right. And so that's what you'll do again after that role and fit. I'll say, great, Eric. So normally, actually, we we work with like more of the performance marketing team. So if this seems like it's a fit, you know, would you be willing to make a quick intro and, you know, keep you involved, et cetera? Would that work? That's like literally the third or fourth question. People are probably glad to get that off their plate as well. That's exactly right. And again, if you say it in a way like, look, man, if it seems like it's a fit, again, it's non-threatening. Yep. And I'm not, I'm not saying, Eric, I don't value you, which is if you just say like, I'd love to get Rick and <laughs> You know what I'm saying? Like, look, normally we do X, Y, and Z. If you use words like typically normally, you'll see that people usually acquiesce. They usually are like, oh, yeah, yeah. And again, you do it early in the meeting. Right? And I think that's the miss. Many people wait till later in the meeting, yep. right? So then when I'm dictating the next steps, I can be like, great, so next steps, like, look, I'd love to get a quick intro to John, we'll loop him in, blah, 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 or if it's the vice versa, it's going top down, great. So next steps are you know, similar to what I mentioned before. You know, we'll loop in your uh, VP of store Ops, your, your e-commerce, we'll set up a quick meeting with them, walk them through the details, it seems like it's fit from there. We'll work with them on what a pilot might look like and we'll keep you, in you know. Yep. So either way, you're always dictating the next steps, but particularly when you know you don't have the right person, you have to you have to plant this seed early on so then at the end of the meeting, it's not a shock that you want to actually talk to somebody else.
0: Yep. All right, cool. So now to jump to the end of the process, I think a problem a lot of companies um, face, especially early on, is that the people that they're talking to see the value of the product but then when it comes to, to buying the product, you know, it comes to a stalemate. So can you walk us through kind of closing the deal and finishing the process?
1: Yeah, so in every deal, you know, each deal, it's, it's funny. I would say is its own special flower, but also behaves quasi-similarly. Um, and what I mean by that is that there are nuances, but for the most part, you know, any given B2B product really only solves like four or five problems. Yeah, like, and it's the same four or five problems for everybody. Um, what we talk a lot about with companies is there's three reasons why people buy. The first is they have a need. Every startup checks that box, right? There's some need that exists in the world, etc. The second is I actually want it solved, right? And so when you talk about getting to the later stages of the deal, if you haven't amplified the importance of the issue to a level to where, again, I was at priority number 950, then I'm at 250. Now all of a sudden, this priority breaks the top 200. The only way that you're ever going to get to that is by understanding like the, the world as it exists and being able to talk about the trends and and elevate the importance of the issue, right? Because I'm not going to buy a solution if I don't think the issue is that important and I don't actually want to solve for it. So. A lot of the things that that happen that are symptoms of, like, objections that happen later in the process are actually symptoms of, like, a poorly executed sales process. Like, I didn't do a good enough job of, like, making this really a top priority. Mm -hmm. Like, I didn't get them to, to agree to me, like, yep, this is a big problem, right? Not that my product's the most amazing. And then the third piece, Eric, and I think this is the most important late stage in deals, which is removing the barriers to implementation. So for us to enable buying, we have to identify needs, elevate those needs to issues that people actually want solved, and then remove the barriers for implementation. And guess what? Removing the barriers for implementation is not saying like, and it's easy to get started, right? Which is what I think every startup says. Like, it's just two lines of JavaScript. Yeah. It's like, you know, or whatever it is, right? The key is that what we teach companies how to do like in the proposal phase, or like as you're having that meeting with like the all stakeholders, is it's not just a proposal, right? It's not a flat document that talks about the product and what they get. Instead there's kind of two elements, one on the front and then one you know, one that happens like right before we talk about the proposal. So what we always do in this proposal phase is we always recap the top issues. So every proposal starts with, here's our key objectives, yep. right? And this is, again, going back to the multiple meetings. Because I always want, you always want to tie what you're doing to problems because in all of these meetings, There are people that are involved who weren't involved in previous meetings. Mm -hmm. So I need all of these people to be bought into, yep, these are the three problems we're trying to solve for. Then, you know, you kind of have your company stuff, right, Um, where you're talking about kind of who we are, et cetera. Then what we talk about in the proposal process that's probably the most important are the last two steps, which is how you lay out your plan for partnership isn't a proposal. Instead, we pull those key issues and we say, great, first let's talk about how we're going to help you to improve user attribution for blah, blah, blah. We do that via this. Mm-hmm. Then we're going to talk about how we solve this problem. And we do that this way. right? So we lay out the plan for partnership, pain first, how we solve whether it's product or feature next. And then finally, going back to removing the barriers for implementation, is you say, great. And the best part is, Eric, your team doesn't have to do anything. And we are talking, we use the same talk track of multi-million dollar deals, yeah. which is, great, Eric, the best part is your team doesn't have to do anything. Here's the plan for implementation. right? We're going to roll out to these 550 locations. We're going to have a kickoff meeting on the, the 30th gym and it we're going to do a training next week for this we're going to then loop in the ops team then we're going to do this then we're going to do this and it's basically literally a paint by numbers of every single step that needs to happen between now and the next 60 to 90 days Mm -hmm. to make this a no-brainer because many times these deals don't get done these big enterprise deals because the vp turns after you walk out of the door and says great okay i think this is good guys and then they look around and says who's going to own this Right? and they look at their stack of papers and like their other priorities, and the key is the most important job in sales to understand is like it's your job. You have to own the implementation because again, going back to something we talked about you know, 20 minutes ago, uh, they've never bought something like this before. There is no procedure on how to implement this thing that they haven't ever rolled out before. And so it's important to ask them about how they like to roll things out, but at the same time, what we always do is, especially when we're talking about bigger deals, you have to lay out the plan for implementation. So for me, those are kind of the checkboxes. And, and what should happen, like after that proposal meeting or like as you have your all stakeholders meeting, is at the end of it, they should go, okay. Right? Like yeah. not, not, not okay as in like, yeah, we're ready to sign the contract today. But they should there shouldn't be a lot of objections. You've talked about these issues. You've gotten buy-in. You've laid it out in words that they understand. And you've talked about actually not that it's just easy to get started. You're saying we're going to do all the work. In reality, there's a lot of work they have to do, but it feels like, hey, we're project managing this. So for me, how you get more deals over the finish line, particularly at the enterprise level, is you have to have that last component. You have to have that implementation plan because, again, when you're talking about big five, six, seven-figure deals the implementations are just such a huge part. It's going to touch so many pieces, and you have to be able to show my customer success team, even if we are only 25 people total, yeah. we, we think we know how to handle people like you because guess what? The big established players, that's what they're doing. Yep. They're laying that plan out because guess what? They've already done it 500 times, right? So again, I just can't iterate enough how important that is, particularly at the enterprise level.
0: And let's say you lose that deal somewhere in that process, either you know at the implementation or even before that in kind of seeing the value of your product is that opportunity ever completely scrapped from you know something you're pursuing or how when can you go back to them and try again?
1: It's also a really great question. Um, for me, I'll maybe dissect it into the learnings that you should take away and then like, is it still a viable deal? Every deal, whenever something goes south, you should always be able to trace it back. That's why having a sales process, a documented process is so important because if you don't have a process, it's, important, it's impossible to go back and say like, where did we mess up? Mm-hmm. Right. Instead, like you're like, well, everything was good, and as opposed to like, did I do this? Did I elevate the issue? Did I, you know, like all of these kind of checkpoints? So for me, when the deal doesn't happen, the most important attitude that a founder can take, or a VP of Sales, or an Enterprise salesperson is what did I do to cause this? What did I? What are the tough questions that I didn't ask in qualification? Right? Did I not ask? Did I? Th- did I try to make Eric the guy, and Eric actually didn't get it done? Do you have a? Um
0: kind of the self-evaluation after every meeting to kind of go over these things because obviously, you know, on inside sales teams, they can just record all their phone calls yeah. and they can analyze them and say where we went wrong. How do you analyze, you know, where, where this meet, these meetings went wrong? Um, since you don't really have, you know, a recording of your conversations? Yeah. And
1: it's multiple meetings too. I mean, the yeah. key is using, you know, again, we're Salesforce fans. I mean, we yeah. also use a, there's a new CRM, uh, prosper which is really awesome. It's a Gmail based. It's a really, really awesome tool. Um, but what we try to do is utilize CRM systems, you know, again, if you use ProsperWorks or you use Salesforce, um, we try to utilize these systems to drive that type of behavior, meaning the worst type of sales meetings, especially at enterprise level, are those weekly meetings where you go and like, okay, what's going to close? What's going to close? Whereas what we try to do is use data to influence that, meaning in order to move opportunities through set stages, you have to have key pieces of information. Right? And again, each company, there's BANT, budget, authority, need, time, and then it's maybe like the fifth one, which is compelling event. And so each company is going to need that information at different stages, depending on how you sell, who you sell to, et cetera. So the key for us is if we drive discipline into the sales process, then Eric, what we we're able to do is go back and say, the reason this didn't move out of in proposal to negotiation, et cetera, is we never identified a compelling event. Like, we lost this deal because we didn't ask the tough question about why is now the exact right time? Why is now the time for you guys to make a $250,000 investment against this issue? And that compelling event is critical. So I think the more that you can have kind of some amount of rigor in your CRM stages and requiring different activities against it, it allows you then to go back and track. So where you don't have the recording, but usually you can go back and look at, okay, John filled this in as like budget Okay, John. Like, what happened? Yeah. Like, why didn't? Why don't we have budget? Yep. You know. So I think that's important. Um, and then there's a second part to your question too. <laughs> I can't remember. All right. We've but covered, we're, we covered a lot of. We're
0: uh, we're running out of time, so I just wanted I wanted to ask one more question and to kind of give you know our early stage startups who are generally kind of working on getting their first hundred customers probably don't have all their processes in place. If you could give them. You know, one, one problem area that you see with most of your clients that they can kind of go right now and make this change and it will improve their sales process, what would you recommend?
1: Yeah, I'll, I'll put a couple two together that I think are intertwined. Step one is, don't think of yourself as a startup. And I think it's just really important that you have to act like a big company, or at least, at least think like, we can do this. And I think many times what happens is you go into these meetings, and especially whenever you're kind of growing, you have the bravado or the ego of like, i built cool stuff, but you still feel like I'm meeting with a CMO or a VP. And I think you have to be cognizant. And so this goes into like my real piece of advice is understand the problems in the space and be able to talk about the problems more so than the product. Because VPs and C-levels at these companies, again, you solve for a need that they didn't know they had. You're not a replacement for something. Right, So like I know that I need a CRM, I know that I need an ERP, I know that I need a web server. I know these are no problems. Most people don't solve for those. And so you need to learn as a founder how to talk in problems, right? And when somebody asks you, like your elevator pitch, it's not at XYZ we do, instead you start with, great, hey, you know, again, so going back to scale, so when people ask you know, myself, my team, what do you guys do at scale? We start with a problem. Yeah. Great, so what do you do at scale? So we see many startups that, you know, again, as they're starting to go through these pivotal growth stages, uh, you know, there's really you know, poor options for them as they're scaling from building to scale. So again, how that's applicable is learn how to talk about the problems because that's a universal language, right? And that's what, that's what really resonates with executives is talking about things that are happening in the world, the space, facts, you know, facts from Harvard Business Review, CBN sites, Forrester, Gartner, those types of stats. You need to be an expert in the space that you solve the problem for. It's not good enough to be an expert in your product. You need to know and care and be passionate about the space. So again, to me, those two pieces are intertwined because if you feel like you're an expert. You go into that meeting, I know going into any meeting, I know more about this space than you probably do, yep. right? So I, I think it allows you as a CEO to feel comfortable talking to a man or woman who's 25 years older than you, who you know is probably makes more money than your company has you know, raised. Um, <laughs> And I think, but you have to have that knowledge base. And without that knowledge base, you're really at a disadvantage, and particularly at the enterprise level where it's tough to get that VP to be like, wow, these guys know their stuff. And they're not going to think that you know your stuff because you know your product. They're going to think you know your stuff because you understand their, their space and their problems. Awesome. All right. Well, well, that's it. Thanks, Jake.
0: Awesome. Thank you. All right. And I uh, hope you guys enjoyed the podcast this week.